Welcome to Speak with Ibuko. This is a podcast where guests can share their stories and delve into how they came through their journey in life, who and what they encountered along the way, and where they are now. The Decade series continues where guests will share their recollections of decades they have lived and the one they are in now. Welcome to Speak with Ibu Kung. This is the third series. Thank you for joining us. I have a lovely lady here that I'm going to go right to and ask, would you want to stay anonymous or are you going to share your name? Um, I'll share my middle name, which is Igmawusa. Um, It means glory to God or thank God for everything. So giving God all the glory. The short um, form of the name is Ike. Okay, so I will call you Ike then. So welcome, Ike. Um, how would you describe yourself? Um, full of energy in the mornings and during the day. Um, always doing something. Uh, not just multitasking, but doing a lot of things all at the same time. Um, there's no limit for the amount of things I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been told to slow down so many times, but you know, I think whoever is asking me to slow down just does not have the ability I have to, to mix things up and get great results from the hundred things I'm doing at the same time. Um, when it comes to start to get to 6 p.m., my eyes start to shut and my body starts to shut down as well. So by 8 p.m., I'm in bed mm-hmm. um, and then I'm up again at four in the morning and then that's it. Yeah. So definitely uh, a morning person. Definitely a morning person, a daytime person morning daytime person as long as the sun is out and the sky is bright yeah then so are you i'm alive (laughs) exactly okay so how old are you so that we know how many decades we're going to go through i'm 38 okay so that makes it four decades to go to go through almost four decades (laughs) (laughs) is there fear of 40 i can steady on (laughs) okay so let us start with your first dec- decade, which is between the ages of zero and 10. What is your earliest memory? My earliest memory is, I think, I think, because when I speak to my mom, she says I was about, I, I, I was five years old. So my earliest memory was getting a dog. Okay. Uh, and it still it stays with me. Um, and and there's a picture as well of that same moment, but that that was my first memory getting a dog because I finally felt like I owned something. Mm. Uh, being an only child as well for my mom, so there was I had no siblings. My dad wasn't there. Um, I just had friends from school or friends of my mom's friend uh, that friends that would visit. So when there were no visitors in the house, the house would be silent. And so my mom got me a dog, and I think that was just the most magical thing ever. Something smaller than me as well. Yeah, his his yeah. name was Fury. Fury. It was, uh, yeah. Oh wow. Fury. <laughs> you, did you a... name the dog or was, was I'm it... not sure. I think my mom named the dog. Okay. I think she named the dog. Yeah. Okay. I, but yeah, Fury and and the dog stayed with me until I was twelve or thirteen, I wow. believe. Okay. And when we when we left Nigeria, we left the dog. So okay. yes. So you say you left Nigeria. Were you born in Nigeria? So yes, yeah, so I was born in Nigeria in Benin City, Nedo State. Um, and shortly after that, 
um, my mom moved to the northern part of Nigeria um, and stayed there until I was eight years old. And then my mom moved back to Benin City. Um, and then I think when when I was 15, she came to England. Okay. So I think she just wanted a change. Um, she had gone. So what had happened was we were when we were in, in the northern part of Nigeria, she we were doing well and everything was fine. Mm. And um, she got in con she got in contact with her fiance, who she was supposed to get married to before she met my dad, and they rekindled their romantic love relationship <laughs> oh you're gonna have to backtrack with that IK. so hold on a second okay where is your dad in all of okay so the story goes that my dad um was married okay and my mom didn't know okay so they met each other they fell in love and he was going through a bad marriage and obviously by the time mom found out she was pregnant and dad promised he was going to leave his first wife who didn't and I say first wife because after my mom he's married again um but it just it just didn't work out but I think for my mom she describes it as uh, falling in love with the first love ever and then they were going to get married and things just didn't work out there because just before the wedding was cheating and she thought well I'm not going to get into a marriage where someone I went into a marriage with someone I don't trust mm-hmm. and so she decided to leave Benin and go to Lagos to do her NYC so it's a like a year in service okay. that people do in Nigeria so she went to Lagos to do her NYC and she was working in the company where my dad was working as well but he was like at the top of the chain in terms of executive and that stuff and she was NYC so they met each other they fell in love they had a courting relationship and Mm. it had gone really far they confided in each other as well Mm. um and then towards the end the start of the middle part of her pregnancy was when she found out that he was married and it just all went down south from there so to have a fresh start she decided to move to the northern part of Nigeria which, as you know, it takes about three hours. I can't remember now to go from um, from Benin to that part of Nigeria. And if you by air, and if okay. you're traveling by road, I remember traveling by road. My uncles used to come and pick me up from from uh, the north, and we would get on these massive big buses, double decker buses actually. And this was in the 80s, and we would we'll travel from the northern part, and then we'll get to the east, and we'll get to Onitsha, and we'll stop there. Um, to have a meal or something I vaguely remember this and then we'll get back on the bus again and end up in Benin and I believe that took uh, it took a whole day or probably even um, but back in those days the roads were good it was safe to travel like that as well Um, could trust anyone and everyone and it was just fun times so I think she decided she 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 says she decided to move to the we were from the south and back in those days you didn't really have a lot of southerners in the north and she knew that if anyone ever came looking, the north was the last place they would check oh, for us as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. Did she fear someone would come? Yeah, she looking? she feared that my she feared my my dad's wife would come looking because she couldn't have kids, and then she heard that my dad was having a child. Mm. So I think obviously after many years of them being married and she couldn't have kids, and then my dad's having a child outside, obviously that would have caused a lot of problems. Mm. And I think mom just didn't want to be part of that whole scenario so she decided well i'll move to the north which was quite funny because um dad also moved to the north 
So distance wise, I think we were hours away from each other by road, but he didn't actually know that we were in, in that as well. So he had no clue where you were in your, no. in your first decade? Yes, I think towards the end of my first decade was when I met him. Was that when he met you as well? Because he could have met you when you were a baby and... Yeah, I think that was I think that was when he met me as well. Um, wow. They both actually have told me um, stories about... So my dad says, oh, he always wanted to come and see me when mom had me in the hospital. But he, whenever he decided he was coming things would happen and he just wouldn't be able to come and see me. But then my mom would say he was just too busy to come and see me. So whatever the case may be, I don't know. He never got to see me. There are no baby pictures of him holding me. However, there are baby pictures of his brother and his cousins who visited. So all of my baby pictures has family members from my dad's family, but none of him. So how, how did that make you feel? You know, I, in that decade, not having your dad there. To be honest, I thought it was normal. I, I honestly thought it was normal. Um, my mom, she did everything to make sure that I had a normal or whatever a normal life looked like. So went to the best schools, mm. um, had lots of friends, had lots of people that we knew because she was very, she's very industrious like I am. So mm. she did a lot of baking she would do wedding cakes birthday cakes so there were always people who were coming to either get cakes or get clothing that she would make and she was a lecturer at the university as well so we knew a lot of people um and she, she has a lot of siblings so some of them moved to the north a few period like during a, a period of time where we would have either my uncle coming there to do his NYC or my auntie coming to do her NYC. Mm. Um, so I knew a lot of, of, of my mom's family and they always even though somewhere in the north and mm. somewhere in the south we were in the north and we yeah. had people abroad as well but we it's actually very close-knit so we knew we all knew each other so for the first decade I don't I my mom told me she said I always asked about my dad I honestly don't remember asking about him all the time but she said I always asked about him I remember her always telling me good things about him there was never a bad thing to say about him mm. um, I think it was when I got older I think so basically her approach was she would not say anything bad okay. about him and she believed that when I got older if there was any bad then I would have to find out for myself interesting interesting so you you um, describe a very you you were family orientated you were surrounded by family and friends yeah but you knew as as your mom pointed out to you later on in life that your dad was missing but mm -hmm. she wasn't willing to share a lot about him until you met him and made up your own mind yourself no she she did i think she shared a lot because she had pictures of when they were together. So she would show me pictures and go, oh, that's your dad. And, you know, she had yeah. a lot of pictures. Obviously, before she found out anything, it was all lovely. Um, so she would show me pictures. She, I had his last name. So it wasn't yeah. like, you know, I was, if anyone was really looking, they would find me. Because yeah. it's, you know, my names were not Northern names. And my last name is very prominent in the South. So, I mean, if if he was looking, if he was ever looking, which which is actually quite ironic because I think the first time I met my dad's wife, who was mm. apparently looking for us, which is why we had to go to the north, I was in my second decade and she mm. just showed up at my school. 
So she, oh, wow. she, found, she said, she, she said, she, oh, yeah, very easily she found me. Yes. She worked in the education board and she found me easily and she walked up to me. She, I think she was one of the inspectors and she walked up to me and she said, oh, um, you know, she called my name and she, she took my notebook. I remember that day and it was a government class, like, which is like history class. And she, this woman walks in and she takes my book and she looks at my name and she opens it and she, she looks at me and she said, you look like your dad. And then she said, make sure you do well in your studies. And um, she said, how's your mom? And I said, she's fine. And then she said, um, how's your dad? And I said, he's fine. And then she looks at me and she says, do you know who I am? And I knew who she was. Even I think as soon as she touched my book, I knew who she was because it was so weird. You don't, mm. no one comes into your school and, you know, and but just, she was one of yeah. the yeah, inspectors. So like what we have as Ofsted now, that was what okay. so. So she said, do you know who I am? And I was like, yeah, I know who you are. And she said, so who am I? And then I said, you are. And I said, this was how I described her. Because I know her name. Mm. But I said, you're my dad's first wife. And she said, good. <laughs> wow. And so th- that was in your second decade, you said? That was in my second decade, yeah. We second will explore that more when we okay. get to, to that point. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So here you are as a child, um, between zero and 10. Um, you have a dog as company because you're an only child. Did you have any significant friendships in, in that decade? Oh yeah, I had a, I had one significant friendship. Um, her dad was in the army and I'm not sure how. So the way it worked in the North was everyone from everyone who isn't a northerner at the time which was in the 1980s and this was when i don't know if you've heard of metasini which was when the muslims were killing all of the christians in the north and we had things like curfew and i remember that actually a lot so we had things like kind of like what covid is now so yes so it was a lockdown and these people will come on their horses and chop people's head off. With, oh, wow. Whatever. I never saw that. That was the story. Um, and that, funny enough, I looked it up recently again and I saw and I read through. And basically it was just this guy who just thought he was cleansing the north. And mm. um, so what used to happen then was everyone who not a northern, everyone would just became, because you had like the Igbos, the Obaz. Mm. the Edo people everyone who basically wasn't house out Fulani just came together as a band okay and so I think most of our friends most of my friendships were from those groups mm. I can't even remember having friends in- I remember the head the headmistress was my mom's friend okay and she was from Lokoja which is the middle belt of Nigeria okay and I was friends with her children. We were mm. friends. I still remember their names. So I remember them. And I remember this other girl whose dad was in the army. Um, and that was it, really. And our, and our neighbors, mm. because we could all go to school together. Mm. But that, that's about it. That's about it. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a while ago. I'm not saying yeah. you're old, but it was a while ago. No. So we're talking about Yeah, so, so, you know, out, out of the house, yeah. I would have all of those friends and mm-hmm. school was fun. You know, living out of the house was, was a lot of fun. Mm. And then, so I could be a child when I left the house. Mm. But when I came home, you know, my mom, she never like started off another relationship. I never saw her with like a guy in the house, she just basically sacrificed her whole life to making sure that I was as normal as possible. So we would have adult conversations. She never spoke to me like I was a child or anything. She would, you know, I started cooking very early. I started cooking at the age of eight or seven even. Um, and we would have proper adult conversations and her friends, she had a handful of friends that would come over as well. 
and they would include me in their conversation. Um, it wasn't, you know, go go sit over there and play with toys. They would include me in their conversation. So I was very clued on very early on in life. I, I knew what was going on around me, which really helped me, I guess, and it still helps me. Follow us on Instagram at Speak Podcast, and you will find each guest has an interesting fact or picture to share with you. Let's get back to the interview. Okay. So what would be an enduring memory about those first 10 years for you? I think moving, leaving okay. the north. Yeah, leaving the north uh, and moving to the south. My comfort blanket was that my, because my mom's family is from Benin and we're going back to Benin. So the, the reason she was moving was because her, so she, the person she was meant to marry before she met my dad yes. heard that it didn't work out between my dad and her yeah. and found a way to get in touch with her and finally got in touch with her. So moving back was basically, again, that adult conversation, her sitting me down mm. and she said, do you remember I told you about this person and he's contacted me now and, you know, we want to give it another go. He's got two children. It also didn't work out for him and whoever it was he got married to. Mm. And then she said to me that with your dad, I told you how it's not working out. And, you know, we're not together anymore and all of this stuff. And then she said, well, you know, I want to give it a go. What do you think? Mm. And I was like, yeah, you know, we could give it a go. Because if we move to Benin, then I'll be close to my grandparents. Okay. So I was like, okay, well, we could give it a go. But then I think the transition for me was... It was quite not difficult, but it was just it was a culture shock because mm. I'd lived the first you know decade of my life in the north. I could speak but the Hausa and the Fulani languages, so those okay. languages were my first languages. All right. um, and then English was a language I spoke with my mom, mm. and part of that I spoke in school as well. All of my nannies were Hausa or mm. Fulani, and they would speak to me in those languages. So those were my and the culture as well. So I had learned the culture. I had learned everything. Mm. We had even, um, I had a lot of Muslim friends. So I would cry when they go to the mosque because I wanted to go with them to Islamic mm. school and, and write in Arabic and all of this stuff. And then to move to the South where everyone was Christian, it was a different language, different culture, different food was a culture shock. So mm. even though, even though my heritage is in the South, yes, which, which is Benin and even further down South in the Delta, Mm. it was a major culture shock for me um it was a lot busier mm. a lot louder um yeah so I went from being the only child to being one of three if that makes any sense so my stepdad had two children who were so the the his first his first child which is a which um is a boy was two years younger than me. Okay. So I suddenly became the oldest person mm. or the oldest child, the first child in a family. Mm. Um, and I say the first child because my stepdad, he really loved me, actually. He um, he played the role of a father. Mm. And there was, no, he, there was never a difference between me and his children. To him, we were all like his children. Um, so yeah, so that, that was, I would definitely say I was the first child and I was treated the way the first child um should be treated and I think not I think that was the first time actually I think I was about 12 or 11 when I told my mom I asked her if it was okay 
that I should get his last name as my last name. Oh, you and, loved him that much. Yeah, and she said no. She she didn't think um, that would be wise. But then I think partly, well, my dad's a lawyer. <laughs> what it, what I hear is your mom was very concerned about your father or his wife. Uh, that's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah getting very. getting uh, knowledge of you especially as you were growing she wanted to protect your childhood is what i hear yeah no my dad had knowledge of me um he had definitely had knowledge of me i think he was too scared to get to know me because he was scared of his first one she was a character she was a force to be reckoned she was mm. she's you know so i think my dad likes peace okay he likes his peace so i think he he did everything he could to make sure that there was peace but at the same time i guess him having his own peace meant that he couldn't have a relationship which mm. you know i guess he he picked that and he chose that but I, again it doesn't bother me it doesn't it didn't bother me then i just i really i honestly felt it was normal Mm. And having a stepdad who, in my opinion, taught me everything a dad should a daughter. Again, he would have conf- like adult conversations, with mm. so which was something that him and my mom had in in common. The adult conversations they mm. were like, right, sit there. This is what's going on in the world. This is how you handle it, and stuff like that. And he would have those same kind of conversations, and he would give me advice on things like boys or mm. fighting. He taught me how to fight. I remember once I was being bullied at school. And I came home and it was him I went to tell actually. And I didn't tell my mom. And this is still in my first decade. So we came back and I was take I was taking a year back actually. So I had to repeat a, a year, a school year. Okay. Because in the in the South it was done according to your age or something. I don't know. Private school in the South. Yeah. According to your age. And I was eight years old at the time and I should have been in year four. Okay. Primary four. Yeah. I think. No, I was, yeah, I was eight and I should have been in primary four, which is year, no, is it year four? About year five here. Okay. And they took, they took me back to year, to the year before. So I had to, yeah. So I had to to do a a whole, yeah, a school year. Mm. And, um, and I'll say on the playground, I'll say things like, oh, I've done this school year before and all of that stuff. And they'll laugh at me because obviously in in Nigeria, you know, if you're doing a school year, then you Mm. filled an exam, you know, so I think their excuse was, oh, you know, she might as well do that year. So she gets used to our system here in the North. It was all different systems anyway. Mm. But um, so this was still in the 80s. And so I would get bullied on the playground. And I was just not having a lovely time in the South. And then I went and spoke to him about it. And I said, right, this is what's going on. He was like, right, you know, you don't have to cry about it. And he took me out into the garden. He told me to put some shorts on a T-shirt. And then he taught me how to fight. So wow, proper physical <laughs> training. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, oh, wow. And then, he said, and then he told me that I should, that when I go to school, he basically taught me how to swing quickly without the person noticing okay. and he he then he got me cycling shorts because we wear dresses yeah. and he told me to wear it underneath my dress I shouldn't let mom know I should go all out he said to me he said when they start make sure you beat them up if you get in trouble don't worry I will come to the school and I will back you up with mm. you know whatever it is if you get excluded expelled or whatever don't worry I'll talk to your mom so that was the kind of guy that he was, was yeah. he was that sort of person yeah so I think mm that really taught me to fight mm. for myself and not just get shot down or get bullied and you know mm. so yeah so then I had my first good fight it was nice 
Okay. <laughs> you found the fighter in you. So, yep. so IK, you mentioned you became the oldest after being a yes. single, you know, only child um, for a number of years. And then mm -hmm. you all of a sudden had siblings younger than mm -hmm. you. What was yeah. your relationship like with them in that decade? With my, with my siblings, I just felt like, I felt the need to protect, which was weird because I think in hindsight, when you think of my background, I should be the one who was being protected. But then I felt the need to protect my siblings because we're all in the same school. So again, you know, if they were getting bullied or they were being spoken in a way that I didn't think was good enough, I would jump in. You can't do that to them. Um, and even even though now I'm 38, I, I, I'm not in contact with them anymore. Um, people who knew us in primary school will say, oh, how's your brother? How's your sister? And, you know, so that was how close we were. And that's how much I stood up and stuck out for them because people just thought we were all one family. It, it never It never occurred to them, even with our last names as well, it never occurred to them that maybe were different dads or different moms and you know mm. they will still refer to it now as you know how are they and so I think that that period lasted uh so I moved when I was eight and I started secondary when I was when I was 10 okay because even though I was in primary three at eight I was nine in primary four and then primary five which is year five I did the common entrance yeah. which is sort of like the 11 plus okay and then went straight into secondary school mm. and then I went into boarding house as well Oh, so you left home. At 11, yeah. So I left home and then I'll see them, I'll see them during the holidays. Mm -hmm. But it was during that same period as well as so starting, so coming out of my, my um, first decade, by the mm -hmm. time I was nine, and I don't know how mom let me do this, but I said to her, look, there's no point dropping us at school. We will do public transport. So I'll wake up early. I think that was when I started waking at 5.30 in the morning to get ready, making sure everyone's uniforms were ironed out and everyone mm. was ready to go to school. And then I would, uh, we would walk to the bus uh, park to, the, to, to where to, we'll get the bus to school. And it was a 45-minute journey, wow. which now mom even, my mom says that when she sits and she thinks back, she thinks, how in the hell did I even let that happen? Mm. Because my stepbrother was seven and my stepsister was six. So wow. there's, there's, and uh, you, the nine-year-old, yeah. was marching them <laughs> yeah. onto so the, I had, to I the had, bus park. I had, exactly. I yeah. had done a year of my mom and my stepdad dropping us at school and picking us up. Mm. And then I just thought, you know, I don't think I'd want I don't want them to keep doing this. And I think also because in the North, we just to get on a school bus mm. and your parents would wave and you'll get dropped at school. And it was your responsibility to get back on that school bus mm. and come home. Um, parents only came to school when the teacher needed to talk to them or there was an exhibition or a play at school. Mm. But in the South, everyone drove their children to school mm. and kids would stand outside the gate and talk about their parents' cars and, and things like that. And again, that was something I wasn't used to, but I was used to that independence that I was given from a very young age. age and yeah. so by the age of nine, 10, I used to walk them to school or walk to school together, get on public transport together, three of us, mm. and get to primary school, finish off for the day, stay back for enrichment mm. until about four in the evening and then find our way back home. And that was it for the first two years. So from nine to uh august of when i was 11 years that was that was it yeah uh, to to those who are listening who are millennials 
um, which we sort of could be considered as millennials in our late 30s in the year 2020, the 80s was a totally different environment. Mm. It, it was safe it, to, to, to a certain extent. And it was like um, IK has shared, she was able to do that for two years. Were there mm. any incidents, IK, in those two years? Um, having uh, done that. Okay. There was. I don't think there were any incidents. One thing I re- one thing I know that still sticks to me until now is the fact that my mom she built a very solid foundation for me mm. in my faith. She's always so those years that we didn't really go to church. She always told me, you know, it was always like, you know, anything you need, make sure you ask God. Every time you feel something, make sure you pray. So that has always stayed with me from a very young age. I can remember having conversations with God. So going to school at nine years old for me and taking two people who are younger than me, one was I knew it was responsibility that I had brought on myself. Mm. Um, and I asked, I took permission and it was, yes, go ahead. My stepdad as well, you know, he was, he was so happy that that was happening. And he would say to his kids, I hope you're learning, mm. you know? So that was one. Secondly, there was just this piece within me. I knew for a fact that I would go to school and I still have that with me now, like regardless of where I travel, regardless of where I end up, I know for a fact that I'm leaving this, I'm leaving point A. I'm getting mm. to point B and I'm coming back to point A and there's go, there will be no hiccups on the road. There will be absolutely no interruption. I always knew that as well. Mm. Um, so for those two years, I, you know, we did that journey and then came to time for secondary. Mm. So that was when I left secondary. Um, actually, I was 10 when I started secondary and turned 11 while I was still in GSS. Okay. Yeah. So that takes us out of your first decade and into your second. Um, yeah. As a... As a, if you will, finisher for this decade, is there anything you think back on now and view differently than when you were going through that experience in that decade? I think when I, I've always thought, I've always said even to my kids now that, because I look at them now and I've got, I've got a 12 year old and a 10 year old and I look at them and I think, you know, so many risks I took because I would not let them now even with my 12 year old get on the bus you know i'd let i let her walk to school like she she does walk to school but not in the morning she walks in the afternoons with her friends and she comes straight home and we can see when she's coming into the house because there's cameras and we can log in on an app and all of this stuff mm. and you know got the tracing app on her phone but back in oh, the wow. 80s all of that wasn't there you you just had to wait to you know, hear that that we had come back and all of that stuff so looking back now I think I'm I'm grateful for the adult conversation that my mom had with me. I'm grateful for the my stepdad and him teaching me how to fight mm. and stand up for myself verbally and physically. Mm. I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful that I did not have a typical step parent. Mm. I had a parent who loved me as much as he loved his own kids. I'm grateful that I've also experienced having younger siblings. Um, and I think that first decade was when I realized that I was someone who just loved to protect. Mm. So so that's something that I do very easily. I don't complain doing it at all. I just know that, you know, I, I hate injustice, basically. I can't stand it when I feel like someone has been taken for granted or even me being taken for granted. And I just... Mm feel the need to always protect or stand up for and you know I don't I don't see it as a bad thing I just feel that sometimes if you don't speak up you won't you'll just get the wrong end of the stick and and what's the worst in speaking up you get a no or you say the wrong thing but it's always a learning process you know mm. 
so yeah, I'm quite grateful for the first decade. Massive change, obviously, moving from one culture to another, mm. one place to another. But yeah, so my first decade spent half of it in the north, well, more than half. And then the last part of it, we moved into the south. And then my the start of my second decade, um, I had just started secondary school. And actually, at the end of my, my first decade, yeah. There was an incident where we were in a school and um, so this is how I met my dad, basically. So we're in the school, we're in a, in a primary school and then the headmaster comes into my class uh, during a music lesson and he says, oh, your dad is here to see you. I was so excited. I was so excited. And I come out of my classroom and in front of me is a guy who I didn't recognize as my dad. Mm. But this guy... I felt like I knew him. I, f- I, could, I felt like I could recognize him. And then it suddenly clicked that it was Your my birth dad. father. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Because I could see myself in him. On and, that note, yeah. <laughs> we, will, we, will put it, we'll, we'll say a thank you to everyone who's listened to this point on your first decade. And we'll pick up that story as we start your second decade. Thank you for listening to IK's first decade. Hope to catch you on the second one. Thank you for listening. All of us have a story to share. You can contact us at info at thespeakpodcast.com or learn more about this podcast at www.thespeakpodcast.com. I hope to welcome you on the next episode.